Some folks emphasize rules and regulations and law in the Christian life so much so that it becomes legalistic and burdensome. And that's really detrimental because have you noticed that the more you focus on the do's and don'ts and the regulations, the, the law, the more it tends to make sin more of a problem. And the Bible says that very thing. It says that the strength of sin is the law. We read last time that uh, we have victory because we're not under law, but we're under grace. Now, grace is not a license to sin, but it's knowing that there's no condemnation to us because we're in Christ Jesus. And then discovering that everything that God calls us to, to express has to do with love. Loving Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving our neighbor as ourself. So because we are accepted, because He has put that victory into our new spirit by His, His regeneration, we see that our role is to cooperate with Him. Well, some people emphasize rules and, and performance so much that it's legalism, there's a possibility of the pendulum swinging the other direction, and some believe that victory is automatic or teach a kind of passivity, and that's also not balanced. So, in other words, we need to not uh, imitate, not just operate, but we need to cooperate. Paul said that very thing when he said that we are fellow laborers together with God. In Philippians chapter 2, God says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's in your new spirit, but express that through your mind, will, and emotions. But then notice the power source. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As we talk then about our victory and our responsibility to maintain it, we see that this victory is available through our choice to trust Christ to do what only he can do in and through our lives. What a privilege it's been over the years to walk with people um, who are encumbered by various uh, difficulties, sins, strongholds, hurts. They come with what we call presenting problems and to see how God gives them the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ is a wonderful privilege. The Bible says we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Over the years, we've seen God set people free from eating disorders like anorexia or bulimia, gender, gender confusion. We've seen God set people free. We've seen people set free from alcohol addiction and uh, cocaine and other things because we don't need a different counseling model for every symptom. We need to trace those symptoms to the root issue of self. And if there were a way for Christ to live his life in us and through us and displace self, then guess what? All those symptoms are resolved indirectly because it's part of the victory that God gives us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we've seen that we've been set free from the authority of sin. We have seen that we have a new identity, which isn't based upon our performance, but it's based upon our new birth. And what a blessing that is. The Bible says we are God's workmanship. The Greek word is poema. In other words, we are God's poetry. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's all by grace, isn't it? Unto good works. Here's the victory part. Unto good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So those good works that we are to walk in flow out of our new identity in Christ. They're based upon grace. But in this lesson, we're looking at our responsibility to cooperate with God in that process. There are a couple of diagrams I'd like for you to notice. Both of them are rectangular. The first uh, one, this box diagram taken from Dr. Salma's book, The Ins and Out of Rejection, looks at man's spirit, 
the part of us that relates to God. Then the middle section describes the soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. And then the lower section of that rectangle represents your human body. Now, Dr. Salman used to be uh, an engineer working on aircraft design, so a lot of his illustrations come from the engineering field. And you'll see a close-up of what he calls a will switch. And here we see that if uh, the switch is down, in other words, if a person is, is just relying upon his natural abilities or her natural abilities, then they're forfeiting the, the spiritual power and freedom that they have in Christ. So in other words, this upper diagram, diagram 11, describes someone who is not reckoning on their union with Christ. The switch is just like a light switch that's in the off position. They're forfeiting the power and freedom which is available to them. So what is God's directive to you and me? It is to flip the switch up, so to speak, to, as an act of our will, say yes to God, to present ourselves to Him, and to reckon true our oneness with Christ and the victory that He gives us by grace. The, the next uh, rectangle diagram also has this idea of the selector switch uh, in a little bit more detail. And here he uses another aircraft uh, analogy. And in this gauge, let's describe it as an altimeter, the gauge that describes the altitude of an airplane. If a gauge is based upon um, DC power, I think I have a battery with me. So if it's based on DC power, then if that battery fails, if that electricity runs out, then the, the dial automatically goes to zero instead of whatever altitude rating it was on. So Dr. Solomon says, if in DC power, if the battery dies, then, um, then the, the gauge goes back to zero. That's an illustration that if we do not appropriate the power that we have in Christ, we lose our victory, we lose our spiritual altitude. And being a poet, he also uses DC to represent the words directly from Christ, DC, direct from Christ. As we trust Christ as our power source, then we maintain our spiritual altitude. You know, when we talk about the need to appropriate Christ's life, we need to look at the role of our will. In our soul, we have these three faculties that we've spoken of earlier. We have the faculty of mind, the faculty of will or volition, your chooser, you might say, and then the faculty of feelings or emotions. Here we're looking more about the role of the will. In other words, you and I have a choice. We have uh, the privilege and responsibility as an act of our will to choose to present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. Someone might have a wonderful spiritual breakthrough of discovering their new identity in Christ and the grace of God. But then they may end up having a downer. They may end up forfeiting their victory and wonder what happened. This lesson we're emphasizing that we have a responsibility to maintain this victory through the will, through our choice. And what does our choice involve? It involves saying yes to the Lord. The Bible says we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. Do not be drunk with wine, Ephesians 5.18. If you're drunk or you're under the influence of drugs and a foreign substance is in control, the opposite of that is to be filled with the Spirit. That's a present continuous tense command. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit of God in you govern your mind, your will, give peace to your emotions and live His life through you. But since that's a command, friend, we have a choice. 
We can say yes and allow his fullness to take control, or we can say no. If we say no and resist his promptings, then we are, we are quenching the spirit or we're grieving the spirit. And uh, that sin and that forfeits our victory. Back in Romans chapter 6, verses 11 to 13, once again, we are told to reckon true our co-crucifixion and co-resurrection with Christ. We need to personalize it. We need to put our name in the blank. I, put your name in the blank, have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer the old me that lives, but who lives in you? Christ lives in you. He is your victory. And now notice the second half of Galatians 2.20. The life which I now live in this flesh, I live by what? By faith in the Son of God. So our ongoing responsibility is to live by dependence upon Christ in us to give us the victory moment by moment and day by day. Why is it that many times we forfeit the victory? We look back in the past and we see typical patterns of failure, old habits, uh, painful memories, and we identify with those failures. Instead, we need to identify that the very Jesus who rose from the dead and ascended to heaven lives in us, and we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let me direct your attention to the diagram called the self-life. It has the S in the center, which represents self. If you spell self backwards, and then an H is flesh, so living out of our natural resources. And even though we can know Christ as our Savior, we're in our spirit, we can have Christ there regenerating us, and we're a new creation. We can have assurance and security. We can accept our acceptance, but we need to have that total commitment that we've spoken of earlier. We need to yield to Him. But even with that sense of uh, understanding our blessings in Christ, there is a need for an exchange, that Galatians 2.20 breakthrough, because if I'm still living out of my old identity, still depending upon my own strength and determination, even if I've tried to surrender to God the best I know how, then notice the typical patterns of inferiority, inadequacy, insecurity, worries, doubts, fears, frustration as we try to control and solve the circumstantial problems of life, and self trying to get our needs met, our need for love and acceptance, our need for security and significance, our need for belonging, and the frustration that is pent up releases itself into an explosion of anger or frustration, or it implodes into increased depression and anxiety. We try to escape mentally through fantasy and uh, sometimes mental illness. And then the longer we deal with those chronic symptoms, they spill over into stress-related health problems. Well, friends, as we diagnose that self is the root problem, we're reminded of how we maintain our victory. And it is by reckoning to our oneness with Christ, living out of our new identity, and trusting Christ to live his life in us and through us instead of us. Let me give you an illustration of two kinds of animals. If you think of a, a mud hole, if a lamb, if a sheep falls into the mud, it's not going to be happy about it. It's going to want the shepherd to come along and pull it out of the mud and clean it up and restore it uh, to the grassy pasture. On the other hand, if a pig sees the mud hole, yay, and it goes, it has a great time. So when God makes us a new person in Christ, we are saints in our spirit. And even though the flesh in us may like like the mud, there's some pleasure in sin, that's why it's tempting. The real you doesn't really want to sin. God has given us a new desire. We are a partaker of the divine nature. 
That's why Paul says in Romans 7, I delight in the law of God in the inner man. So as we walk in the Spirit, friends, when we sin, we confess that to the Lord, we claim His cleansing, we ask the Holy Spirit to take control, and we realize that victory is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day process of not I, but Christ living. John chapter 15 is the wonderful illustration that Christ is the true vine. And what does that make you as a believer? You and I are branches, aren't we? Joined organically to the true vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. So our Lord says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, then that's how you will bear much fruit and glorify God. Apart from me, our Lord Jesus says, you can do nothing. Certainly you can't um, overcome besetting sins, tear down strongholds, live a new quality of fruitful, victorious living if you're trying to do it in your own strength. That's impossible. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's represented by the Christ-centered diagram called Walking in the Spirit. This represents the abiding life. I remember when I lived in Ontario visiting a man who had come to the church for some pastoral counseling, and he lived in a town called Vineland on the Niagara Peninsula, right um, west of Lake Ontario, near where we lived. And as I visited him and drove up his driveway, went into his house, he led me to his back porch, and we looked off his back porch, and there were acres and acres of grapevines. That was his uh, occupation, was tending uh, the, the grapevines uh, in his property. So the, the name of the town reflected what was true with uh, that area of the Niagara Peninsula, many vineyards. And so when I talked to him about John 15 and showed him a video from galleryofthemaster.com about Christ as the true vine. He was enthralled, he was intrigued that uh, what he was so familiar with uh, as someone who was cultivating and harvesting the grapes was a very beautiful picture of how God, the vine dresser, works in the life of you and me to graft us into Christ through salvation and then to cultivate this uh, fruit of the Spirit as we reckon through our union with Christ Yield our independence away and trust Him to live His life through us. The fruit of the Spirit is contrasted to the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh, if someone is dominated by those, it indicates that they're not saved. But saved people can and do fall into those flesh patterns from time to time. And just like the sheep falling into the mud, we call upon the Lord for His cleansing and rescue. But as we abide in Christ, then the fruit of the Spirit, like a cluster of grapes... Fruit is singular, and yet they're interconnected. He gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control as He expresses His virtues in us and through us. As we think of this concept of uh, Christ being our source of living and the need for the Spirit-filled life, I'm reminded of the concept of the fullness of the Spirit. And uh, there's a mug here. And it's got an eagle on it. We're going to have uh, be visited by an eagle shortly. Um, but this mug, imagine if I want to get the air out of this mug. What do I need to do? If I fill this with coffee, which I know would delight my wife, <laughs> uh, if we displace this air with liquid, then we might say we are filled with a, a new content. And as that fullness comes into place, the air is displaced. In the same way, friend, if we want to displace the acts of the flesh, then what do we need to do? We need to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, as we allow Him to take control, the Bible says in Galatians 5, 16, walk in the Spirit 
and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in him and let him displace those, those patterns that grieve and quench him. And that's how we experience our victory day by day. What's the role of faith as we cooperate with this victory? Well, in Romans chapter 1, we are told that we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that gospel uh, makes available to us, it provides the righteousness of God from faith to faith. By faith, we receive the gift of God's righteousness and salvation, and by faith, that righteousness is expressed through us as we walk in dependence upon Christ, as Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 describe in such a profound way. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, another helpful verse, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did you receive Him? By grace through faith. How do you live out the Christian life? By grace through faith. And He gets all the glory. When we think about the need to maintain this victory, I'm reminded of Peter and his episode of asking Christ to allow him to walk on the water. Remember the account where the disciples were in the boat in the Sea of Galilee? Our Lord comes walking on the water, and Peter says, Lord, if that's you, call to me, and I will walk out to you. Well, amazingly, Peter steps out of the boat, and he is actually walking on the water supernaturally toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And as long as Peter is looking unto Jesus, what was happening? He was supernaturally upheld. In the same way, friend, as you look unto Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, as your life, you will be supernaturally upheld day by day to overcome the problems and challenges and temptations you face. But what happened to our friend Peter? He was distracted, right, by the wind and the waves. And when he took his eyes off the Lord, what happened to him? Peter started to sink. Our Lord had to reach out and pull him up and rescue him. In the same way, if we are distracted, if we look back to our past failures, if we look inward to our damaged emotions, if we look to uh, anyone or anything else other than God's resources in Christ, then we're going to sink. But if we look unto Jesus, we have the victory. Hebrews chapter 12 gives us that imagery of the Colosseum and running and competing in the race. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race that is set before us. Let us cast off any besetting sins. Then it says, looking unto Jesus. Remember that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So friends, our faith involves looking unto him day by day, moment by moment. Why do we need to do that? Because there is still something in us that the Bible describes as the flesh. If you notice your page where it mentions uh, this list of flesh patterns, you're asked to identify your, your five most prominent flesh patterns. In other words, your uh, residue of who you used to be before Christ, which is housed in this mortal body of yours, the flesh, you have your own unique version of that. For some, it's a, it's a very negative, defeated, dysfunctional kind of flesh. Others, it's very much a self-confident, performance-based, successful kind of flesh. But whatever kind of flesh it is, it's still repugnant to God. So I'd encourage you to look over that prayerfully and say with the psalmist, Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. In Romans 7, Paul says, In me, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. So in other words, 
if you were working on, on something and got a splinter in your finger, Neil Anderson uses this analogy, you would have a sliver of wood in you, but it wouldn't be you. In the same way, Paul says, in my flesh, in those old patterns still retained in my mortal body, uh, there's nothing good that dwells there that I can depend upon. And yet he also goes on to say that in my new man, in, this, in my new spirit, I delight in the law of God. So here we see that it is valuable for us to recognize our own unique version of the flesh, not to dwell there, not to be identified by it, but to be able to say, not I, but Christ. Knowing that as the Holy Spirit fills us, he will displace those flesh patterns moment by moment and day by day. One of the most helpful illustrations of freedom comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 2, where after we're told that there's no condemnation to us, it says that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. And Bible teachers have compared uh, these two principles to uh, the contrasting principles or laws of aerodynamics compared to the law of gravity. Uh, where we used to live in Ontario in the Niagara Peninsula, we had a phenomenon where the hawks and eagles would migrate north in the spring and they would come to our area and due to the thermal that would be there near the escarpment where we lived, uh, the eagles would come to our neighborhood literally and they would circle around and catch an updraft and we would sometimes see them in May circle thousands of feet into the sky and then maintain their journey north. It reminds us of Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The Hebrew word has the idea of exchanging their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. An eagle is a wonderful creature, isn't it? I mentioned that we we're going to be visited by one. Uh, we had one on the mug there a few minutes ago. When my wife and I went to Alaska a few years ago to do a Grace Fellowship Conference, we enjoyed the beauty of God's creation up there and wonderful fellowship with people in Homer, Alaska. We saw a number of bald eagles and uh, were just amazed at, at their majesty as they would soar around. And as we left, our hostess gave us a gift. And I have it right here. Little mascot, this uh, bald eagle puppet. And so this reminds us of the eagles up there in, in Alaska. And as I um, received this gift, I named him Homer after Homer, Alaska. So say hello, Homer. Hello. <laughs> well, when you think about an eagle in, in flight, we see that as an eagle spreads its wings, then it's able to soar. And in the same way, we see that in the concept of flight, there are two laws that are operational at the same time. There is a law that's trying to pull the eagle down, and that is the law of gravity. And it's helpful to compare the law of gravity to what Romans 8 verse 2 calls the principle of sin and death. Friends, the law of sin and death is still operational. It still affects you and me, just like the law of gravity affects an eagle in flight. But when an eagle flies, there is a higher law that supersedes the law of gravity. There's another law that transcends the law of gravity, and that's the law of aerodynamics. So as the eagle spreads its wings and flies, the law of flight overrules the law of gravity. Here's the point. The Bible says the law or the principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. So as we appropriate Christ as our victory, we can soar 
with wings as eagles. Now what happens if Homer closes his wings? He's going to dive, right? He's going to descend. In the same way, we need to maintain our victory. And Hannah Whithall Smith in her book, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life, talks about the value of surrendering and trusting as a basic attitude of abiding in Christ. In other words, as we surrender and trust, then we maintain our spiritual altitude. But if we grieve and quench the spirit, if we take back control or try to, if we trust in ourselves or something else other than Christ, it's like we're closing our wings and losing our victory. But as we yield and trust, then we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? Thanks, Homer. So friends, you and I are to mount up with wings like eagles. We are to run and not be weary, walk and not faint. This principle of the victorious Christian life is like this Romans 8.2 illustration that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. This lesson we've been talking about our role in cooperating, in appropriating this victory. It's not automatic, although it is offered by grace. We need to yield. Remember the will switch. We need to say yes to the Lord, His control, and we need to depend upon Him to live His life through us. As the Holy Spirit takes control, He displaces our flesh patterns. As we look unto Him, He gives us that victorious walk supernaturally one step at a time. And as He does that, we see this chart in our notebook, Christ Jesus the Lord has become my life and all these wonderful blessings that are true of us in Christ. <clears throat> and what a list this is. As we look unto Him, these wonderful blessings become experiential and a source of, of gladness and victory day by day. Let me read down the list to you. Christ Jesus has become my life, thus He is my strength. Jesus is my wisdom, my sanctification, my redemption my righteousness, my peace, my victor, my joy, my hope. Jesus is my obedience, my spiritual fullness, my goodness, my source of love, my kindness, my source of forgiveness. Jesus is my patience, my rest, my self-control. Jesus is my freedom, my gentleness, my spiritual mind, my faithfulness. Jesus is my access to God and my supply. Isn't that wonderful? And so much more. He's the Alpha, the Omega, and everything in between. As we wrap up this lesson, friends, we see that there's three R's, just like reading, writing, and arithmetic, that may help us just once again focus upon expressing His victory in a very practical way. If we summarize our spiritual enemies as the world, the flesh, and the devil, we might use the three R's this way. Trusting Christ as our enabler, in terms of the flesh patterns, we need to um, reckon the fact that we're not under that authority any longer. We're not under that employment. We are free in Christ because of our spiritual oneness with Him. So in terms of the flesh patterns, reckon true that you have new freedom in Christ. What about the world system with its values that are antagonistic to God? Well, the R for that is renew your mind. Romans 12.2 Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As you worship, as you meditate on the Word of God, as you pray, then that ongoing renewal will continue in your heart and in your soul. And then in terms of the devil, we are to resist. 1 Peter 5.9 says, Our adversary the devil, like a roaring lion, prowls about, seeking whom he may devour. 
Sometimes we'll counsel people who have lost their victory and they wonder, if God loves me, why am I experiencing this kind of defeat? And we gently lead them back to this truth saying, friend, God is wanting to train you to rule and reign with Christ someday and it's your responsibility to resist the devil. He gives you the resources, but it's your choice. So it says in 1 Peter 5, 9, resist the devil steadfast in the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. James 4 says, submit to God and resist the devil, and then the devil has to flee from us. So we need to reckon on our oneness with Christ. That's how we have victory over the flesh. We need to renew our mind and have victory over this world system. And we need to resist the enemy and have victory over the devil, knowing that the truth does indeed set us free. Aren't you thankful that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us? And God invites us to cooperate with him that his victory might be expressed in your life and mine on a practical day-by-day basis. Let's cooperate with Him, yield to Him and trust Him, so He will receive all the glory.